Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to get right into it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm excited that you're with us here this morning. And I'm going to be sharing with you also a little story that even just happened recently in just a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have a Bible, I would challenge you, attain one, get one, or read on uh, with somebody there next to you. But definitely try to get one, even for those of you that say, uh, well, I, I, don't, uh, I don't really have a Bible. or uh, I remember when I was first coming up in the Lord, uh, I didn't have a Bible, and somebody told me, go buy one. I said, all right. So I went to go buy one, and it was like $60. And I go, man, $60 for a Bible? I'm not buying that. And then right after that, I went to go buy a jacket, and the jacket cost $75. Now, I was young in the Lord. I was still learning how to, but I want to tell you something. I, I, I think a lot of times when we look at finances, and when, especially when it comes to a Bible, I think that you should have a Bible. It doesn't matter how much it, it, it costs. I mean, go to a hotel, they give it to you for free, you know. But I, I definitely would think, uh, pray that you attain a Bible as best as you can. And even for those of you that or maybe like myself, you can get it on your phone. You can even get your Bible on your phone. You got them all right there. You can tap it, get an app. It's all right there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Do you have it? The Word of God reads, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to t uh, tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and yes, even a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. Jump down to verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us here this morning. Lord, remove me. Place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit, Lord God. He that has an ear, let him hear, Lord God. I thank you for each and every man and woman that is here this morning. Father, touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our bodies, touch our souls. In Jesus' mighty name. And all together we said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, tis the season to be jolly. How many of you here this morning, you love Christmas music? Raise your hand. You like Christmas music. Isn't it just something special about Christmas music? You know, have a holly jolly Christmas. And, and the thing about it is that uh, a lot of the songs, I don't even know all the words, but I just love to like, mistletoe. 
Right? I don't know the words, but I know the Spirit. I don't know every single thing, but I can feel it. I understand it. It just soothes and agrees with my soul. This season is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. That's what the song says. That's what the greetings card says. says. That's what billboards say. The most wonderful time of the year. But yet, many times, especially within a season like this, it's probably the most oppressing time of the year. It's the most bitter time of the year. It's the most questionable time of the year. Why, God? Why did this happen this past year? Why did this take place? How come I don't have what she has? How come I don't have what he has? How come? Why? I don't understand. And it becomes a questionable season. Well, you need to know here this morning, there is a time for everything under heaven, the Bible says. There is a time to plant, a time to gather, a time to sow, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Listen, I want to challenge you really quickly. Uh, come to our New Year's uh, party that we're going to be having on December 31st, 9 p.m. We're going to be having a time to dance. It's going to be a great time. Uh, I want to tell you something. You, you don't attend this church by accident that we have a dance floor here. Uh, we are going to use this dance floor, and we might be buying a new one by January 1st. And the men's home is probably saying, what? i got to install that thing. Oh, man. We're going to have a great time. We're going to just have a blessed time this New Year's. And it's just going to be a great, great time. So I want to challenge you. Bring your friends. It's free. Just want you to know that. We're going to have food. We're going to have games. We're going to have skits. Just going to have a great, great time uh, in the Lord. And so it's just going to be a blessed time. But there is a time for everything. And this season, what we need to know is that this season, not only does God want to bless you, but he wants to bless others through you. See, God just not want, he doesn't want to just bless you, but he wants to bless others through you. Tell your neighbor, through you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, this season you're going to be blessed either way, but there's one way that you're going to, going to be blessed even more. There's a story of a young man who was getting ready to graduate college. And for many months, he had admired a very beautiful sports car in a dealer's showroom. And knowing his father that could very well afford it, he told his father that that's all he had wanted for graduation. Then as graduation day approached, the young man awaited signs that his father had purchased the car. Finally, in the morning of his graduation, his father called him into his private study. His father told him how proud he was to have such a fine son and told him how much he had loved him. He handed his son a beautiful wrapped gift box. Kind of curious, but somewhat disappointed, the young man opened the box and found a holy Bible. Angrily, he raised his voice to his father and said, With all your money, you give me a Bible? Put the Bible down and stormed out of the house. He never contacted his father again for a very, very long time. Many years had passed, and the young man was very successful in business. He had a beautiful home and a wonderful family. But he realized his father was very old and thought perhaps that he should go see him. He had not seen him since the day of his graduation. So before he could make arrangements, he received a telegram telling him that his father had passed away and willed all of his possessions to his son. He needed to come home immediately and take care of all of these things. When he arrived at his father's house, sudden sadness and regret 
filled his heart. He had began to search for his father's important papers and saw the still new Holy Bible just as he had left it years prior. With tears, he opened the Bible and began to turn the pages. As he read the words, a car key dropped from an envelope taped from behind the Bible. It had a tag with the dealer's name. The same dealer who had the sports car he had desires years prior. On the tag was the date of his graduation with the words, paid in full. See, many times you and I are just like that. And we can miss an opportunity with our father because the blessing doesn't come the way that we want it packaged. We look at it and we say, okay, God, I can't wait to spend time with you, but only if you give it to me this way. Only if the blessings come this way. Listen, my friend, do not miss an opportunity with your father this season just because the blessing doesn't come the way that you think. My friend, your blessing, it's on its way and it's around the corner, but it might not look the way that you think it's going to look. But nevertheless, it's still a blessing. It's still coming your way. My friend, it is on its way. Tell your neighbor it's on its way. But just like this young man, what he did and what he didn't realize, and what happened is his whole life changed because his attitude didn't change. And here this season, there is a spirit that comes upon us many times, but we want to do it the way we want it to happen. We want to give the way that we want to give. But my friend, there's a few things that we need to understand that this season, uh, that we need to understand that God is putting upon us. And that what we realize, my friend, this is going to be the best season that you're ever going to have in your life. But the only way it's going to happen is if we understand these things when it comes to giving. This season, we're going to be giving and we're going to be putting Christmas presents under the tree. But as we put presents under the tree, do we know why we're putting uh, presents under the tree? Do we, are we doing it in a way that we're putting it there and we're saying, man, I hope you like that gift because you better give me a better gift. Is that the only reason why we're giving gifts? Is the only reason why that you're doing good this season is because maybe you want people to see that, see, oh, he is a good person. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. No, my friend, I pray that this season it would just flow out of you, that you would understand the spirit, the spirit of giving. I want to talk to you this morning about this spirit. The attitude is the first one. The attitude of giving. John Maxwell, a very prominent teacher in leadership, said, your attitude determines your altitude. There's actually a few woes in the Bible. Matthew chapter 23. Go ahead and turn there. Maybe they could put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Jesus himself is giving some woes to some teachers and some Pharisees. See, I know a lot of times we think that we're coming up when, it come, when people come to us and we're saying, whoa, Jesus was the first one to say, hey, hold on a second. Whoa. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 23, that's the first word there. It says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably one of the most demeaning, harsh words that I would ever want to hear. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine somebody coming? See, a lot of times when we talk about hypocrites, we talk about hypocrites behind their back. Let's be honest. Oh, that person's a hypocrite. But you won't tell them to their face that. Right? 
Because that's too harsh. So look at this. In this story, Jesus is telling them to their face. He's telling them to their face. He ain't talking behind their back. He's saying it right to them. So what that means is that there's an atmosphere right here of tension. There is some tension going on. Look at this. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Here in this portion of Scripture, we see Jesus putting them on Front Street. See, Jesus finally gets sick of the Pharisees' attitudes and their way of living and gives them the full law. See, they were very strict and precise on smaller matters of the law, but as careless and loose and heavier matters. See, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about how they were partial in the law. They just wanted a part of it. They would pick and choose according to their very own interests. See, and many times, when, even when we come to church, that's what happens. We pick and choose according to what makes us feel good. We don't want the whole thing. Just give us the small part. Just give me the part that's telling me I'm going to have a great family. Just give me that part. Okay, don't give me the whole thing. Don't, don't actually tell me what it's going to take for, actually for me to attain a great family. Just tell me I'm going to have a great family. See, and Jesus here, he's looking at these Pharisees and saying, look, you're obeying the law, but you're obeying part of the law. You're becoming partial to it. See, this tie that Jesus spoke of, the mints, the cumin, it cost them nothing, and they knew this. This tithe, it was a cheap tithe. See, they had always been taught to tithe, but they cheapened the gospel with a cheapened tithe. They had cheapened this law with a cheapened tithe. They were so caught up in their own sacrifice that they omit, omitted their obedience. See, they became more religious than relational. See, to be just in the church and, church and in your tithe and yet cheat and defraud everyone else is to mock God and to deceive ourselves, a great teacher once said. In Luke chapter 21, verse 1, it's a very famous portion of Scripture that it says that Jesus, he looked up and Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. But he also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins then Jesus in verse 3 says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in than all the others. All their people gave from their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty all she had to live on. See, when everyone else gave out of their pocket, this woman gave out of her heart. And Jesus realized that when it came to giving, it wasn't what you put in the basket. My friend, he was looking at her heart. See, he's looking at our heart's here this morning, it's the attitude of giving. It's so much so that when we read the scripture, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say that God loves a rich giver. It doesn't say that God loves to make sure that you put a whole lot of money in the basket. It doesn't say that God wants to make sure that you, you go ahead and you attain everything so that you can be a light through riches. That's not what the Bible says. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the other day I was coming back from driving 
uh, uh, there in, in the North Bay. And as I was driving down, it was a Thursday, and I saw, and I was in traffic. I said, why is there so much traffic here? And I'm coming down the 880, and all of a sudden, I got closer and closer, and it became more and more traffic. Finally, as I went, I said, oh, it's the Raider game. Wow, no wonder why there was so much traffic. They played on a Thursday night. And as I drove past, I seen tents, I seen barbecue pits, I seen flags, I seen cars, I mean decorated with Raider symbols, and I seen faces painted, I seen spikes that looked like they should be in a Dracula movie or something. I mean, I seen, you know, you could see him even on, uh, on television. They have this guy's named Darth Raider. I mean, you know, he's a Raider face. And, I am your father, you know. I mean, I seen just, I, and I mean, I seen lines, trucks and trucks and campers and just, tra I mean, just, I, I seen a, a truck that had a huge barbecue pit behind it decorated and, and it said Raider Nation. I was like, wow. That's crazy right there. And all, all that, I mean, just people were lined up, prepared. They were ready to go. Ready, prepared. See, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. The reason why God loves a cheerful giver, because a cheerful giver is a prepared giver. See, the Raider fans, when they go there, what, what are they doing? They aren't expecting just for their team to walk out on the field. Like, yay, our team's out on the field. No, they're expecting their team to score a touchdown. And when their team scores a touchdown, what happens? The t everybody in the stands doesn't go, great touchdown. Good job. No, the whole place erupts in cheer. They erupt in just an ecstatic joy. Yes! We scored. Faces painted, spikes, flags. I mean, kids just, they got their kids decked out. They're all, they're ready. They were prepared. No, they didn't show up at that moment when the touchdown scored. No, they were out there hours before prepared. See, when you come to church, I know many times we're like, oh, man, I just, thank God I made it here. No, see, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is a prepared where you come ready. Man, God, I want to give him all of my praise. I want to give him all of my worship. I don't want to just come and say, okay, God, man, that was a great message. No, you came prepared, ready. Even if I bomb, you're still good. See, that's what a prepared giver is. That's what a prepared person is. I could preach the worst message in the world. I hope I don't, but even if I did, it didn't matter. Why? Because you're prepared. Saying, God, I, I just come ready. God, I just want to hear from you. God, I'm ready to receive. God, I'm ready to give. God, I'm I am prepared. God loves a cheerful. And a cheerful giver comes from the heart. It's an attitude. When it comes to giving, it is an attitude. Now, why is an attitude so important? Three quick things that I want to give you why an attitude is so important. Number one is that attitude, it determines our approach to life. There's a story of a grandfather, and there was a grandmother and his grandfather that visited their, children, their grandchildren. Each afternoon, Grandpa liked to, liked to go down for a nap. One day, as a practical joke, the grandkids decided to put Limburger cheese in his mustache. Quite soon, he awoke sniffing. 
Why, this room stinks, the grandfather exclaimed as he got up and went out into the kitchen. He wasn't there long enough before he decided that the kitchen had smelled too. So he walked outdoors for a breath of fresh air. Much to the grandfather's surprise and to the open air brought no relief. He said, man, this whole world stinks. See, many times how true it is that many of us, we have Limburger cheese on our heart as attitudes. We walk out. And we go with this attitude, man, this person stinks. That per- it's probably not them. More than likely, you got cheese that is stuck there on your heart. See, that's why it's so important that the attitude that we have, it's very, very important. Because it shows us our approach to life. See, it's impossible for us to tailor make every situation to fit our lives perfectly. But it is very possible to tailor make our attitudes to fit Every situation that comes. Another reason why attitude is important is because it determines our relationships with people. Teddy Roosevelt said, the single most important ingredient to the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. See, having a good attitude will help build others who in turn will help build you. Listen, one of the things that I love about this church, I love that about this church, is that we are very, very diverse I talked about this the other night. Man, we got, we got the black culture. We got the white culture, the brown culture, the red culture, the yellow. I mean, you name the culture, we got it here. We got El Salvadorians. We've got Mexicans. We've got Africans. we got Filipinos, Vietnamese, Samoan, Polynesian. we got a wide mixture of a whole lot of different people. I believe that God put us on this earth and made us different races just to kind of test our character. That's what I think. Because if we were all the same, man, that would kind of be horrible, don't you think? Can you imagine if we were all just, you know, all Indian or all Mexican or all Filipino? Like, I mean, that's that's cool. It's great. But I like diversity. I would have never have found the lumpia. If it wasn't for Filipinos. I would have never found the Gatsby if it wasn't for Africans. There's somebody like the Gatsby. Try that thing. That is the best thing ever. I'm telling you, it's really, really good. See, somebody, how many of you have heard of the Gatsby before I just said it? Okay, so just a few of you. See, I'm telling you, you got to try that thing. There's so many foods. That are like, wow. But see, when it comes to having a good attitude and having the right attitude, it helps you build relationships. But if you got that bad, no, no, I don't, I don't care. I'm just me. I, I, I just like, I like white folk food. I like Mexican food. I like black. I like the. I like my. No. Okay, you can stick with your cheese. Keep it. <laughs> Another reason why attitude is so important is because it can turn your problems into blessings. It could turn your problems into blessings. Jay Siglo Baxter said, what is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our attitude towards it. Every opportunity has a difficulty and every difficulty has an opportunity. I'm going to say that one more time. Every opportunity has a difficulty and every difficulty has an opportunity. See, a person with an outstanding attitude, when confronted with a difficult situation, makes the best of it while he gets the worst of it. Our attitude determines 
our altar to. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where people have come up to me and they said, oh, pastor, or at the time, maybe I wasn't the pastor, they said, oh, uh, you know, Steph, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Oh, well, this is not, we don't have everything. We don't have all the money or this person, they didn't show up. What are we going to do? I said, well, it's, it's okay. We're going to make the best of it. See, because a lot of times our initial reaction goes with what our eyes say. That's our initial reaction. Look at this. It's a bad situation. Look at this. is horrible. But when you have the right attitude and you understand that attitude is real important, all of a sudden the problem becomes a blessing. That obstacle becomes an opportunity. That mess becomes a message. And you really begin to see, wow, God. See, what I thought was for bad, you turned it out for good. See, many of you here this morning, you need to know something. That that situation and that obstacle that you're in, God's ready to turn it into a blessing. Can I hear an amen? That mess that you're in, you think, I can't get, I can't get out of it. One day, you're going to be preaching that message. One day, that obstacle that you thought, I'm never going to get over. My friend, you're going to walk over it like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. My friend, your obstacle has become an opportunity. See, the attitude, the attitude of giving. The second thing when it comes to giving is also the action. James chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Somebody say evidence. Come on, somebody say evidence. Your Honor, I am here to declare my innocence. I did not steal that milk at the store. I'm innocent. And the judge looks to you and says, okay, show me the evidence. Show me that you didn't do that. Show me that you didn't do that. Show me that you are innocent. Okay, I'll show you by my faith. Faith is the evidence. Evidence in the Greek means proof or conviction. Now look at this. Faith is not works. You need, we need to get that very clear. Faith is not works, but it needs works just to stay alive. See, the Bible says, many will come to me, Lord, Lord, did I not perform great works? Didn't I do great works? Didn't I have this? Didn't this take place? See, there's going to be many people that say, I believe in God, but they did not keep his commandments. See, there must be action to your belief. Can you imagine, for those of you married couples, that on the day you got married, you said, babe, I love you. You're the greatest of all time. I can't wait to spend the rest of my next two hours with you. We're going to have the greatest one hour and 59 minutes. That's, I mean, it's going to be the greatest of all time that you're ever going to have. This is awesome. I mean, wouldn't that kind of be horrible? But no, 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 seriously, 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 you're, you're, you're going to be my wife. Yeah, you really, you are for the next few hours. What's funny is that a lot of times that you and I as Christians, that that's what we like to do to God. Okay, God, we're going to have the next two hours together on a Sunday. We're going to have the greatest relationship for the next two hours of all time. That's what we're going to do. Can you imagine if, we, if you as a husband were to just tell your wife, I love you just one time when the day you got married, you probably wouldn't have a very good marriage. Right? It would be a horrible marriage. 
Can you imagine if you, as a wife, you were to just tell your husband, you're the greatest, just one time, that's it. I don't ever, you don't need to, you already know you're the greatest. No, you, they, I don't know about you, but man, I like hearing that. I'm the greatest. I know I'm not, but it feels good to know that. I just like hearing it. It feels good because faith without works is dead. And I gave the analogy the other day. Now, I know some of the women were probably like, oh, no, I, I would take the ring. Well, mm, if, probably not if there was not a built up enough of faith that was in them. Now, the reason why I say that is because can you imagine me and my wife? She's not here right now. She's tending to the baby. But if I went to my wife and I said, babe, here, you know, we got into a big, fat argument. I mean, it was just huge. That, that was it. Oh, man, I just, I hate him. You know, I, she hates me. I hate her. Oh, my God, that's it. We're done. And then I go, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, and I'm going to make up for it with this ring. I mean, it's a huge ring. costs like $20,000. Oh, man, that would be great. I mean, awesome. I go to her, and I say, here you go, babe. I'm going to make up for our argument with this ring. Now I know right away some of the women are like, yeah. But I want to, if we're honest, more than likely my wife, she's going to look at it. She's going to go, okay, why are you giving this to me? Why? What's it for? Well, because, you know, we're, you know, I have to give it to you. Why? Well, because I, w I want you to have it. Why? Because you're my wife. Why? Right? You're just going to keep getting that no matter what. No matter what. No matter Why? 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 Because if you did not continually work it throughout the whole process of the marriage, don't think that one time, yay, look, I did it. All right. I, I did my one good deed. No. It doesn't say faith without work is dead. Faith without works. In other words, it's continual. There is some action. There needs to be some action to your words, I love you. You love me? Prove it. Do you love me? Prove it. See, there's a lot of people that are one day going to stand before God and say, God, I did so much great stuff for you. I went to church every Sunday. I even wore a suit one time. It was powerful. Okay, now I know, I remember that one time when I was at work and you told me to, like, go pray for that guy and go talk to him about you. But I, I know I kind of forgot that. But God, I, I did, like, a few things, kind of. I think I did. I, did I? I'm not really sure. There's going to be a lot of people that go up and stand before God and say, God, did I do this? Did I do that? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Isn't that heavy that the scripture would use somebody in church? Somebody in church is going to say that. Did I not prophesy? Sinners don't prophesy. People in the church prophesy. Didn't I, didn't I do great things for you in the church? Didn't I do that? It says, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't see the faith. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. See, when it comes to being a Christian, there has to be evidence. Tell your neighbor evidence. See, the story of the widow woman talks about it very plainly, that there was evidence. See, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus looked up. See, you might say, but God knows everything. He knows everything that I do. I don't have to show him. See, my friend, I want to tell you something. That's the wrong mentality. 
John chapter 13, verse 35 says, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If there is love. In other words, there has to be action. I was talking with someone the other day, and, and this is kind of even a, a difficult thing to even talk about within the church because you don't want to offend people in the church. But I want to tell you something. This is my belief. This is my personal belief. It's very difficult for me to understand a true Christian that holds on to such bitterness towards somebody that they sit next to in the same room. It's very difficult for me to understand that. Like, how can you say, I love God, but man, I want to kill that guy. God, you are just so awesome. But that girl, if I had a chance, I would wring her neck. Like, that's, that's a hard thing for me to understand. Oh, but I, lo I love God. I am a Christian because I say it with my mouth, not with my actions, but I say it with my mouth. See, that's where the evidence, there is evidence. If you're really a Christian, there is evidence. You can tell. You can just see it. See, I don't go walking around to every single restaurant that I go to. I don't go walking around to every park that I have. I don't go walking around to every single place that I go to holding my wife's hand saying, look, I'm her husband. This is, this is my wife. I just want you to know. Go ahead and continue eating your food. But this is my wife. Why? Because I don't have to say it. I show it. It's in my actions. This is my wife. Well, that's the same thing when it comes to my Lord. When it's the same thing when I come. Okay, he's my Lord. I'm a Christian. Okay, but don't say it. Show it. Don't tell me it. Show it. Show me with your actions. They will know you by their fruit. The love you have for one another. See, when Jesus had exclaimed this about the love for one another, he had just got done washing the disciples' feet. He just got done washing their feet. And the feet, oh my gosh. Can you imagine some of you married couples right now if you were to wash your husband or wife's feet? I know some of you, when you got married, you probably told your wife or you told your husband, okay, I love you all the way down just to your ankles. I will not touch your feet. And you will not touch my, I, I don't know what it is about something about feet. Like, oh, just don't touch my feet. Don't touch my feet. You won't even let your spouse touch your feet. You won't let no one, no one touches my feet. You cannot touch it. And here's Jesus coming, realizing that nobody likes their feet touched. So not only does he touch their feet, he washes their feet. He takes it even a step further. He says, okay, all this stuff that we talk about. And you have to realize the disciples, they were people that walked. They didn't drive everywhere. They walked everywhere. Everywhere they went, they walked. If they wanted to go to the store, they walked. If they wanted to go uh, uh, out there fishing, they walked. If they wanted to travel to another city, they walked. So their feet were very dirty and very messed up. They didn't have the manicures and pedicures. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have no cures. They just had their feet, and they walked them. So what did Jesus do? He said, okay, let me get down there and let me show you with action. I'm going to go to the worst of the worst. I'm going to go to the worst place that you can think of, and I'm going to show you. The other day, we had an opportunity. I was going around running some errands, and for some reason, I was looking on my phone, and boom, a note came up. I write down a lot of notes all the time on my phone. Throughout the week, I'll just write down notes. And boom, a note came up. I go, oh, my gosh. And it 
reminded me. So right there, I was, uh, I was driving on the street. I turned around. I go, I'm going to go down A Street. I went over there. I had an opportunity to go into this hotel that was right there on A Street and South Garden. You guys know where I'm talking about, right? There's a hotel that's right there. If you're from Hayward, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This, this hotel that's there. And I went in there, and I began to first, it was kind of crazy how the whole situation happened, but I knocked on the door. Uh, if you're familiar with that hotel, you know that there's just craziness that is 24-7, 24-7. And, you know, I went to knock on the door. Let me rephrase that. I went to knock on the door, and there was a lady that was there. She just started looking at me, like, what you want? We look at and she started talking to me fast. Who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want to do? Who are you talking to? I'm uh, just here to talk. Okay. So I knocked on the door, came out, began to pray for him, talk with him. And then after that, I was so overwhelmed. Let me tell you why. I left the hotel and I posted it up there on Facebook. And many of you saw it, right? Some of you did see it. And I posted it there and I said, if you get the opportunity, I want you to go. And what was overwhelming to me, when I posted it there, I said, I want you to go there. Don't say it's for me. Don't say nothing. I just want you to go there to that place. If you're reading this post, you go right now and you just go give them some food. Just it. Just go some food. You don't have to say what church you're from. You don't have to say anything. I got so many messages inboxes, comments, people saying, oh my gosh, I want to go. Where is it at? What can I do? I had people from Vegas. I had people from Chicago. I'm not kidding. People from New York, people from Florida, from Los Angeles, inboxing me saying, pastor, what's the address? I want to send money. I want to give. I even had one person, they said, man, I want to I, I give specifically just to her. What does she need? What does she need? And the reason why I mentioned this is because all of a sudden, when it comes to being a Christian, the best thing that we can do is to show it within our action. And there were so many people that all of a sudden got stirred into action. Because right away, it showed, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But they got moved into action. And the reason why I also mention it is because what we're going to do, I don't know if the young girl is even here. She comes to our church, uh, this, this young girl. Like 13 years old. And uh, are you here at all? She's not here? Okay, she's not here. So it's this young girl. She, she started coming because of our banquet the, the, where we help the homeless. Started coming since then. And when I saw her, my heart just, oh, man. So what we're going to do, and this is not my idea. This is actually somebody on Facebook's idea. They came to me. And they said, let's give her the greatest Christmas of all time. I said, yeah, let's do it. He goes, I got money. I'm ready to give it to her. Does she have friends? Yeah, she's got friends. Okay, we're going to do it. I'm going to get her a card, and I want you to give, uh, have her youth leader, and I want you to take her, and they're going to take her out all day. Give her a manicure, a pedicure, buy her new clothes. Because, you know, the clothes that she wears, she actually kind of, everybody always mistakes her for a boy. Always. They, get, they think she's a little boy. She's not. She's a little girl. But because of the clothes she has. So right away he's like, man, man. And you know, you know what he told me? He goes, I've been away from Christ a little bit. He goes, but if this is the way that I can show that I'm still a Christian, then I'm going to keep doing it. He goes, I'm not perfect. But I need to do what I'm called to do. And I'm going to give. And that's what he told me. 
And he has quite a few couple hundred dollars that he wants to give. But he also suggested, he goes, can your church give? I go, my church is a giving church. You ain't got to ask them. They'll do it. And many of you actually already did, and I want to commend you for that. You showed up at that hotel. I went back, and they told me, oh, man, this couple came. Oh, th this person came. Oh, this person came. Uh, I even had one person, they, they inboxed me, and they said, Pastor, I didn't know that was the place. I was scared. <laughs> That's what they told me. Man, I was, I was scared. I didn't know there was drug addicts and gang, you know. I was like, well... That's where you're called to go. Just go. He doesn't go to our church. Some other guy. He goes, no. But that's what he told me. He goes, Pastor, I was scared. I was, he goes, but I got the courage, and I did it, and I gave him some food. But I was scared. <laughs> I was cracking up. But I said, good. You did it. You did your action. You proved it. You showed it with your fruit. Listen, my friend, here this morning, catch, catch this with me. A lot of times we think that Christianity is coming to the church and wearing a suit. No, my friend, Christianity, a big, huge part of Christianity is being a giver, being generous. Generous. Being a person that gives. I can't tell you how many times in these past year since I have been able to preach a message like this where my heart has been so blessed with people. That I've been able to just live this message out where I've been able to get. And people have told me, oh, my gosh, why would you do such a thing? And I just said, because God told me to. God bless you. And then leave. Just for that reason. And I want to tell you something. It is an attitude. It is a spirit of giving. I know that this season, a lot of times we think, oh, man, I want to bless my kids. But right now, if you think about it, and it all brings it into perspective, there's a whole family right now. There's hundreds of families. They're in Connecticut that their family is turned upside down. And when you really think about it, we go, oh, my gosh, it makes all our obstacles go so small. Does it not? It makes it so small. Oh, my kid is sick. I can't do anything. There's somebody over there that doesn't have their kid. They wish their kid was sick. They don't have them. See, it puts all our obstacles into perspective. See, and that's what Jesus was doing when he was telling them. He says, look, you do what you're supposed to, but you cheapen it with just your thinking, with your way of doing. That's your way of living. No, if you really, really want to be a person that says you follow me, then if you want to follow me, then give to those that are in need. Be a generous giver. See, when Jesus, just about every time Jesus talked about hell, he had greed be right there with it. Every time he talked about hell, there was always greed. See, Jesus was merciful to a thief on a cross but he told a rich man who didn't give to the poor that he was going to hell. See, Jesus was always identified with the needy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be closing right here. He always identified with the needy. And he was always making a judgment on those who did not give to those in need. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, turn with me there. See, action and giving was a part of Jesus' fruit inspection. That's how he inspected his fruit. Verse 34, verily I say unto you, 
or excuse me, wrong, wrong chapter, Matthew chapter 25, I'm sorry, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw the hungry, and we fed them, or the thirsty, and we gave them a drink, when we saw a stranger, and took them in, or naked, and clothed them, or when we saw the sick, or in prison, and came unto them, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall you say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not... You gave me no meat. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in. You did not clothe me when I was naked. You did not visit me when I was in prison. Then shall you answer, saying unto the Lord, when we saw the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the, the sick, and those that are in prison, and you did not minister unto them. Then shall he say unto them, saying, verily I say unto you, and as much as you did not, and to the least of these, you did not unto me. See, when it comes to giving, Christ affiliates himself with those in need. He affiliates himself with those who are in need. But we say, God, I came to church. I did my thing. I did what I was supposed to. Now, just like the teachers and the Pharisees of the, of the law, he says, look at what you did. You gave me the mints, the cumin. Daniel, you gave me this stuff. You, cheap, you, you, you thought that this is what it was? No. You robbed me in tithes and offerings. In both. See, my friend, it's the full gospel. The full gospel. The attitude, the action, and the authority. The Bible says that when Jesus was ascending into heaven, he says, all authority that has been given to me, I give it to you. Everything. And you know what the Bible says? That even when he was there, the Bible says that there were some doubters. Can you imagine that? That Jesus said, all authority that was given to me, I give to you, except if you doubt. He says, no. Even those of you that doubt. Even those of you that still wonder. Even those of you that you come and you're still on the fringes. That you're wondering, man, is this Jesus stuff? Is this really real? Or I don't know. I, you know I'm just kind of there. And Jesus says, no. Everything that has been given to me, I give it to you. Now go and use it. Listen, this season, some of you, you have a roof over your head. You got a car or two in the driveway. You're good. You got, you're blessed. You are very, very blessed. You came here this morning. You got your, your family with you. Some of you, you're even praying for your family, even though they may not be here. But at least you got your family. I mean, you're, you're already expecting a... Probably the greatest Christmas season of all time that you've ever had. Man, it's going to be awesome. And even if you didn't, it's going to come into perspective, even though you may have one gift under the tree. Just the fact that you have a tree. Because right now there's many people sleeping under a tree. And we come, we're going to have a great Christmas. 
And here's Christ. He's saying, look, you want to give to me? There's somebody out there who's naked and needs clothing. You want to give unto me? There's somebody out there that's hungry. They need something. See, you're not going to hear a lot of messages like this. I understand that. Because you're going, vision and power, what God's going to do in your family. I understand that God is going to bless your family. We're going to have a great season. But this season, listen to me. And hear me loud and clear. I was, I was just taken back the other day about how uh, I was sitting yesterday studying in Starbucks. I saw a couple come in, even there in Starbucks, and I was sitting there and tripping out about how Starbucks has a $7 coffee now. I don't, I don't really drink coffee. I've never really been into it, but $7 coffee. Oh, God. And you know what was so funny? Oh, I was cracking up. It's funny, but it's really not funny. That somebody played a joke on people. They put a, you know when they put a table out there and they put A and B? And they say, okay, which one's better, right? You ever seen those before on the television shows? And they have, you know, people just come up randomly on the street corners. Come up, which one's better? Is it A or B? Starbucks has a new coffee, so they put two coffees out there. Is it A or is it B? And to play a practical joke, they had people come up. And they try, mm, oh, this coffee's good. Huh? Which one's better? I think B is better. It's more rich. It's more fuller. I would pay $7 for that. And then somebody would go, oh, no, I think it's A. It's much more richer. It's much more fuller. I think, you know, yeah, uh, that's, that's a better coffee. It's $7. I could tell that's the $7 coffee. It's more fuller. And to pl play a joke on them, it was the same coffee. <laughs> and it wasn't even Starbucks. That's funny, right? I thought it was funny. But humor a lot of times mirrors the sadness of our culture. It really does. We have to joke at it, but when you really put it into perspective, people will go out and pay $7 every day for a coffee and do this thing every day. And when, when, when you and I as Christians, when Christ is looking, he says, look, there's people out there that are thirsty, and they need it, and they're hungry. But us, you know, oh, it's a great time. I'm good. I got car. I got gas. And our troubles, our troubles is the fact that the microwave will not heat up our food fast enough. That's our troubles. Microwave needs to hurry up. Our troubles is that we didn't get seconds in a buffet. That's our troubles. Our troubles is the fact that our battery on our smartphone ran out. That's okay, I'll just use my other phone. Those are our troubles. Those are the things that we have. And yet this season, Christ makes it very clear. He says, look, there's people out there. They're naked. They need clothes. They're hungry. They need food. They're in prison. They need a visit. There's people out there. This season, now I understand, it's a mentality a lot of times. It's a mentality. And we need it. And that's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I understand that. That's why sermons like this, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. we got to change that mentality. I need to put as many gifts under the tree so my kids will appreciate me. I need to put so many. I need to give to as many people. I need to give them gifts that I don't even care for them anyways, but I need them to like me. See, that's the mentality. 
and something like that. I need to just give it. I, I don't even care. I'll just wrap it up and give it to them. So we have that mentality that we're going to give to those who are going to give us back. But Christ here is saying, are you going to be able to give to those that they ain't going to give you nothing back? Can you still be blessed? Can you still show to those that are in need? Now, the one thing that I love that I can honestly say that there are many people here in this church that they have that attitude of giving. They have that attitude of no matter what, they know that God is going to provide for them. In Psalms chapter 37, it says, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed or his children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely, and their children will be blessed. See, I truly believe, this is my personal opinion, that you and I, we are not called to be takers, but we are called to be givers. We're called to be givers. Man, that show that I saw, man, I'm telling you, see, humor is kind of a sadness on our culture. That new show, and I shared it the other day, but it's been upon me. Uh, Just the commercial, I just saw the commercial for that show called Hoarders. And you see these people, they, they love it. They love it, you know. And it showed a person trying to walk into their house. They literally have to go like this, walk sideways the whole way down to the kitchen. And it's all right there. I'm like, man. Now we look at it and we go, oh, my gosh, look at that person. That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, change the channel. And, you know, we just move on to the next thing. Move on to the next thing. This season, if you're not careful, you can easily find yourself hoarding everything, hoarding all the blessings, hoarding all the good stuff. And listen, I believe that God wants to bless you. I truly believe that. But the reason why he wants to bless you and give you good things is so that you can bless others. I pray that this Christmas, this will be the greatest Christmas you've ever had. That's what I pray. That you have the greatest Christmas you've ever had. But a part of that, would be far from me if I did not tell you, if you did not give to others, then you're probably going to have the worst Christmas you've ever had. Now, you're going to have a lot of stuff under the tree. You know, a lot of stuff that you put on your fireplace. You're going to have a lot of stuff that your kids are going to put on. A lot of stuff. But I pray that this season would be a season where you can be able to stand before God when you do, because you will. You will, whether you like it or not. It may not be this Friday or the end of the world, but you will stand before him. And when you do, are you going to be able to tell God, God, hey, thanks for giving me the $7 coffee every day. That was so cool. Man, God, thanks for the, that, you know, big, humongous thing that you gave me. Man, it was so big, I didn't even know what to do with it. And God was like, you didn't know what to do with it. I gave it to you big so that you can help and supply others. I gave you that so that you can be a blessing to others. Oh, but God, I thought I was just going to church every Sunday. I thought that was a Christian. I thought that that's what you were supposed to do, right? Isn't that what people say? No. Scripture makes it very clear. Matter of fact, Christ was so much, or the, the Bible is so much into understanding that you need to get, get there's 2,106 verses on giving. 
2,106 verses. And when it comes to hell, less than 900. Because when it comes to giving, Christ was very, 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 very important and adamant on that. Listen, I want you to hear me this morning. This is something that I pray that is upon your heart. That this season, don't let the Santa Claus and the snowman and the reindeer and the whole season of what comes with the, the red and the green and the Christmas lights. and Oh, that's great. And that's awesome. Listen, I pray that you have the greatest Christmas of all time. I pray that you do. But do not really miss the real reason for the season. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You could easily miss it. Oh, that's just a bum on the street. You could miss it. Oh, that's just a person who's in need. Ah, you can miss it. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can you help me out? Oh, no, not right now. You can miss it. Pray for them. Bless them. I like what even the apostles said. Look, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I'm going to give you something. See, some of you here this morning, you may think, well, you're, you're, you're like that. I don't got a lot of money. What can I do? They will know that you are my fruit. They will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are a Christian by the love that you have. Listen, here this season, I know it's very easy to get caught up in presents and gifts. I didn't come up here. I wasn't yelling. I wanted to get this point across to you. The attitude. The attitude. It get very easily. You're going to give somebody a gift, and all of a sudden, if they don't give you a gift back, I'm, not, ever, I'm never talking to that person again because of your attitude. Gratitude. That's what it's about right here. Well, I gave everything. I gave so much money. Nobody gave. Gratitude. Well, what should I do? Given your action. Given your action. Why? Because God has given you the authority. He has given you the authority. When the authority are in the right position, the Bible says the people or the city rejoices. This city of Hayward, one day, is going to appreciate the Christians. One day, they're going to appreciate the Christians. They're going to appreciate those who are going to take their rightful place. But listen, we need to take our place. We need to take our place. Rightfully so in the kingdom of God and in the city of Hayward. This is our time here this season. Stand with me here this morning.